Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, bringing you the latest reports from the Whitetail Woods. And now, your host, Spencer Newharth. This is Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, powered by First Light. I am your host, Spencer Newharth, and in this week, we're talking about rut hunting success stories. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio. This is episode 478. I am Spencer Newharth, and I am not joined by Mark Kenyon this week because he is out on assignment filming something where he doesn't have great service. But instead, I'm joined by fellow Wired to Hunt contributor and Foundations host, Tony Peterson. Now, an update from last episode is when Mark and I had talked, we had talked about the One Week in November project a little bit, and I had promised Mark that I was going to come home um, and and record our next episode of Rut Fresh with two less buck tags in my pocket. And that is what happened. I killed a buck in Montana and in Wyoming. Um, and joining me on that hunt and, and with the our crew of four was Tony Peterson along with Mark and Clay Newcomb. And Tony did something similar. He filled two buck tags in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Now we're going to be kind of light and vague on the details because um, it, it's going to be real damn exciting when these shows come out on YouTube and when a, a different Wired to Hunt episode comes out where we talk about this project. But for now, Tony, I want to hear just about the rutting activity that you saw in Wisconsin and Minnesota over the last week. What were you seeing for daytime movement, for mature buck movement, for sign making? Fill me in on what was happening in that Great Lakes region. Man, for the for the buck movement, it was excellent. And seeing lots of cruisers, lots of chasing. Uh, you know, I didn't see too many bucks laying down sign, but I did see a few deer work scrapes and, and kind of hit them up when they were cruising through, but just, just for deer of all calibers covering ground, it was real good. And when you killed that giant buck on day one of our hunt, tell us about that setup, why you were in that spot and why that buck was in that spot. Uh, I was in that spot because it was a sort of a centrally located hub of three three kind of like wooded waterways that connect huge blocks of timber 
And so it was just, you know, you look at it on aerial photography, you're like, man, that's, that's a place where deer should cruise. And we just happened to have a really good win for that stand that a, a buddy and I hung this summer. And that deer was, I think, actually think he had lost a doe, but he was cruising the downwind side of a kind of a bedding area. And he was just along the edge of a cornfield in the woods in, in a way on one of those little travel routes uh, where they just, you know, they're going to go from point A to B and they're going to use cover. And those, those little wooded waterways, they were the ticket. And he was, he came in hot and that's what he was doing. He was just following that, that wood line. And I think you said it was in July that you identified the spot and you hung that tree stand. What was about it in July that you saw that made you think like, oh, this is going to be the perfect spot to be on November 1? Uh, it actually started last year. Uh, my buddy had some observations there. And then I saw a uh, really big deer kind of kind of corral a doe in there, probably on like November 5th or 6th. And so we, we spent some time talking about it in spring and looking at it and then went in this summer because it was like, that's, that's kind of the spot. That's just the hub where bucks could come in from a bunch of different directions. But if they, if they use those waterways, they're going to end up there. And so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was partially e-scouting and it was partially in-season observation that, that put that spot together for us. All right. So that giant eight pointer you killed was November one in Minnesota. Now let's talk about your hunt in Wisconsin. I think it was November 5th. You tagged another buck there. Tell us about that setup and why you were there and why that buck was there. Uh, that was a different setup. That was a, a wooded, a wooded draw, pretty big Valley actually that has a pond in the bottom. And I knew there'd be some cruising in there, but I thought, you know, we, we had that, that blip of warm weather where it was getting into the sixties at in the afternoon. And so I was like, I know they cruise here. There's a couple of pinch points around this pond, but it's also one of the, the few water sources in that area that I was in. And so I had, I had a bunch of stuff going for me and, you know, good cover as well. Cause it, th- you know, this time of year, there's a lot of people out, a lot of pressure, you know, everybody wants to get their rut, their rut hunt going. And so I was like, this thing has a, a bunch of different stuff going for it. You know, it's the same kind of deal went down and hu- hung that this summer in anticipation of this week. And it just worked out really well. Yeah. And speaking of hunting pressure, like how do things differ for you, Tony, when you're hunting the rut on a piece of public ground or a a piece of private ground that has a lot of shared permission versus sort of like a, a manicured property that you tend to have all by yourself? How how are your strategies different when you're hunting public land this time of year? Um, you know, in my world, whether I'm on private or public, you know, I'm I'm never the only one. And so you're always factoring that in, but I kind of just go to like, what do I have real confidence in the deer doing? Like what spots do I just believe in? And those are the, those are the places I might, as long as the conditions work for me, I might volume hunt them for a couple of days. And, you know, if you're on public land, you got a way bigger chance of somebody coming in and, you know, maybe messing up a part of your hunt, but you kind of learn like that's part of the process. I mean, it happens on private land too. So it's like, out for those spots where you're just like, I believe in this spot and then let the deer tell you whether you're making the right decision or not. And I think the hard part, and I think we saw this with our shoot was that self doubt creeps in. If it doesn't work out, you know, if you spend a whole day during the rut and it really doesn't happen, it's super hard to stick with that. But if you've done your homework and you, and you've got a lot of confidence in it, 
it, it just might've been an off day and you got to give it some real time. And I, I really don't think that varies much between public and private, to be honest with you. Yeah. And other perspectives you're going to hear this week from about the whitetail rut is from Dan Johnson from Sportsman's Nation in Iowa. And then Mark Haslam from southeastwhitetail.com in South Carolina. And then Byron Horton from the whitetail experience in Ohio. And we end with Sam Soholt from Public Land Tees in North Dakota. And our reading materials for this week, which you can find in the description in the episode, uh, these articles we have are why transitions are the perfect rut setups by Alex Gilstrom. Alex goes over why hard transitions and soft transitions are where you should focus your attention during the rut and how to find these areas. And then we have, can you burn out a rut stand by Dylan Tramp? Dylan covers the nuances of two types of rut stands, locations you can burn out and locations you can't burn out. And then we have how to kill a pressured buck during the rut by you, Tony Peterson. Tony discusses how hunting pressured deer during the rut is more about outthinking other hunters than it is outthinking the deer. And then finally, we have what is the whitetail lockdown by Mark Kenyon. Mark looks at what big buck killers and science say about the whitetail lockdown and how those viewpoints differ. Now, to see Tony's episode of where he kills that giant Minnesota eight-pointer, that is going to be out November 16, and we are going to be dropping an episode a week uh, for every week after that, basically all the way through the end of 2021. Uh, Tony, how how excited are you to see that episode one? Uh, I can't wait, buddy. I can't wait to see all of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm stoked for episode one, and then you had some other crazy encounters in those first four days, um, and, and then we end on a real high note. But more on that later when we record a longer Wired Hunt episode. But for now, let's get to the route reports. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, buddy. All right, and joining us online first is Dan Johnson from Sportsman's Nation in Iowa. Now, Dan, in Iowa, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to ten? Yeah, Spencer, that's a that's a tough question to answer. Uh, I would say on the area of the farm and the doe group that I was hunting around, uh, it was more uh, this this week. It's been more in, in earlier earlier this this last week. It would be more of a a seven, right, as far as buck activity. But based off trail cameras and sightings, even just a thousand yards uh, to the east on that property hunt, you know, hunting in an area with a different doe group, I would say more of a three or a four. So if I was a hunter, I wouldn't get too crazy worked up about what's going on right now. You have to be in the woods right now in order to figure that out for yourself. Now you just killed a slammer buck recently that I think you said had almost a 24 inch spread. Tell us about that hunt. Tell us why you were in that specific spot and why that buck wanted to be there. Yeah. So you know, a lot of it had to do with historical information and how the deer worked the terrain through, uh, you know, through, through that area throughout the 13 years that I'd been hunting that farm. Uh, so the first hunt was a, was an afternoon hunt. And on my way into that, that hunt, I, or not that particular hunt. So this, my success this year was based off three different hunts an afternoon, a morning, and then an afternoon. And, um, so I checked trail cameras on the way in. I got some Intel of where I, you know, where this buck had been in the previous week. And, uh, on my way out the next morning, I checked two more trail cameras. I got one more piece of Intel for him. And what I did was I, I kind of triangulated his, uh, position based off the trail camera information and based off of the, 
the terrain features and, and how these deer use these terrain features. And then I had to use what was given to me, you know, the wind direction. And I just put myself in the best possible position um, in a draw that kind of at the very bottom of a draw that led up into a standing cornfield. And uh, that's where that's where he showed up. How much stock are you putting in trail cameras in the first two weeks of November? I mean, if it is all this, all the trail camera does is tell you that a deer has been there. It doesn't mean that they're there right now. And as we all know, the rut is uh, a time of year where chaos, it's chaos in the woods and anything can happen. But I feel that if the doe group, uh, the, the active doe group in the area stays on a routine, these bucks will stay on some kind of routine as well until these doe groups start going into, into heat. And so I would say that trail camera Intel helped me out a lot because I was able to uh, put a point on a map where this buck had been in the past five days. And then another point on a map where he had been in the past five days. And then I add that it's almost like an equation. And I, I add it all up together based off of, um, past, you know, history with deer, how deer move th- through the terrain. And then I just, I put together, I, I just throw information into that equation and out spits, uh, the best possible tree stand location for me. You mentioned that you killed this buck hunting a draw that led up to a cornfield. What is the crop harvest status for most of Iowa right now? Well, it just depends on what part of the state you live in, man. Uh, the area that I hunt, uh, and the area that I, uh, live in, there's still a lot of standing crops, uh, especially on one of my main farms that's closer to my home. There's still, you know, I would say over 200 acres of standing corn in the area. And it does make things really difficult, uh, to try to, to try to locate a deer, especially when they're, they're spending a lot of time in that corn. Let's pretend that you're not tagged out, Dan, and you're going to be in a tree on November 10. What does your ideal setup look like? my ideal setup looks like wherever the deer are at. Um, I wish I could sit here and tell you that, Hey, you should be in a drainage or in a a pinch point or downwind of a bedding area, uh, or over a popular scrape, or, you know, you hear people talk about all the great places that they need to be a, a good travel corridor. But I think what a lot of people miss out on is yes, these places are great, there's still times where deer do not go They're They're not active in these areas. So what I would do is I would maybe put some boots on the ground, look for some active sign, um, look, try to find where the deer are at. Maybe an observation sit is in your future. Maybe not, but get into the woods and just observe. And if, uh, deer aren't there, then you move to the next terrain feature or bedding area or, uh, or travel corridor or whatever. And you just, you, you just keep going through the cycle until you locate them. And then once you locate them, then you can refine those, those stand set placements and, and setups um, until you get close enough for a shot, hopefully. Going forward then this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Iowa? Yeah, man, we're, we're coming up on what some say is peak breeding, which is the 14th of November. Again, it just depends on what the doe groups are like in, in your area. Like I said, I got a, I got a doe group on this one farm that I hunt. It is a, it's a late October, early November doe group. And then the other doe group further to the east is a 
is a, a mid October when they come in or mid November when they come into heat. So I'm just going to go try to locate the doe groups. And I'm uh, typically at that point, the doe groups are going to indicate whether or not there's deer in the area. I'm going to check my trail cameras. I'm going to cycle through uh, tree, some of my favorite tree stand locations and hopefully run into something. All right, Dan, congrats again on that slammer buck. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Spencer. All right. And joining us online next is Mark Haslam from southeastwhitetail.com in South Carolina. Now, Mark, in South Carolina, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? Spencer, I would say the buck activity has probably been um, right about a nine. We had a nice cold front that came through last last week. Uh, we're wrapping up, wrapping up right now, starting to warm up a little bit. Um, and right now, bucks have been chasing does. We're seeing bucks tend, tend to does and, you know, lock down with them in some thicket areas and uh, not wanting to really bump off of them. So uh, we're seeing some good um, mature bucks, tailing does, and uh, we're right, I think, probably towards the end of our peak uh, first round of breeding. So what would you identify this phase as the rot as in South Carolina? Going in, I guess we're going the second week of November. This is, we're wrapping up our, our peak breeding. Um, it, should be, it should be closing out pretty soon. And then towards the end of November, going into December, we should hit that second rut with those with those does that weren't bred the first time. So you get, should go back in, in, into a second heat cycle. Um, a lot of Georgia, South Carolina, the southeast has high deer densities and, and butt to doe ratios that are a little out of whack. So in some parts, um, in, in a lot of South Carolina, we've got more does than bucks. So there's they do not get bred during that first cycle. I know this morning you rattled in a buck. Tell us about that encounter and what your calling strategies are in early to mid-November. I'll, I'll do some grunt sequences, but um, not really a whole lot of blind grunt calling. Um, I started off this morning right at daybreak and did, did a couple sequences, very, very, very short, very light, um, uh, just rattling. I did hear two probably young bucks swallowing this morning and had a four-point that came up to them. Um, and then about nine thirty, um, I went a little harder, um, a little sequence, maybe 15, 20 seconds with some antlers, um, a little hard, a little bit louder, more of like grinding and, you know, not, not so much smashing, but just kind of more some pushing with antlers and grinding. And, uh, within probably 15 seconds, I had some movement down i was up on a high, up on a ridge right beside uh, a creek bottom and had some movement coming out of that creek bottom thicket and had a nice just beautiful eight point that came out um about 25 yards or so and uh was coming out take a look at the take a look at the action so that's um typically if i'm going to rattle it's going to be early early in the mornings and i'll be outside uh right on top of some thick bedding what are you seeing for sign making right now um there's some new scrapes that they're being hit um lots of scrapes just being hit constantly fresh um not so much new rubs um but i i would say there's certain scrapes key scrapes are being visited uh quite often at night what food sources are relevant right now for whitetail hunters in that part of the country right now spencer i would say 
um, unless you've got some ag or some food plots that have not been touched, that have that that have very little pressure so far, I would stay off those. Deer still coming into them, but you know we are just knee deep um, in the season. South Carolina opening up in most of the state in August and the rest of the state in September. So there's been a lot of hunting pressure. Deer have been highly educated at this point. So I would stay away from 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 highly pressured areas and I would get off in the woods. The rut, the buck action we've seen the past week has all been in the timber, all been in, in thick areas, thick cover, and in some mature pine blocks that are between food plots, between stands. We're seeing a lot of deer, a lot of bucks moving um i mean it might be 200 yards from a food plot they're not going into it they're just skirting by it uh deer hitting acorns and they're hitting some of that uh natural vegetation in the, in the pine forest um so uh, um they're still hitting food plots and what's left in the ag fields but i, just, I bet, but i just feel like it, it's 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 not important because they're probably hitting it at night um and i would just focus right now in the woods get in there deep get mobile, climb, um, and figure out where hunters haven't been yet. And that's probably where you're going to find the bucks. Cause right now there, there's, there's does being bred. There's, there's bucks tending does and they're moving a lot during the day, but they're just moving, moving in some thick areas. Let's say you're in a tree stand on November 10th in a state like South Carolina. What does your ideal setup look like? Mm, right now I would probably be either I would be out outside a thick area there's some bedding um or ideally maybe between two maybe between two um two bedding sites and it might be too it might be outside of a clear cut that's been replanted and it's got some height to it but i i would be in or around some bedding and being close and tight so right now you've got bucks that are cruising around um checking doe bedding um checking to see you know checking those doe groups, see who's in heat. And you've got bucks like, like my encounter this morning that you're going to hit them just that right time where they're jacked up and they're going to come in looking, looking for a fight. I, I've had most of my success rattling this first, second week in November um, for mature bucks. Usually the bucks I rattle in in October or late October is going to be, you know, immature yearlings or one-year-olds, two-year-olds. But I would be in some... Uh, dense cover and it might be a pine block where it's been thinned a couple times it's been burned but it's got some it's got some you know um got some high vegetation where you you can climb and see some distance and just, and just catch those deer moving but the key is you've got to be around or, or close to some thick thick areas and it could just be little pockets here and there um but if you can find where the does are if you if you know where they're bedding hunt around those um because you're you're going to find the box um, right on top of going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in south carolina um we're going to start to level off a little bit um i think you know we're going to start to see if you know if if, if hunters are staying in the woods we're probably going to see some more mature bucks some older ones and some five and six year old six year olds starting to show themselves a little bit more as these young bucks are out um out this first first round breeding uh, but it's going to start to level off because most of these does, a lot of them have already been bred. Um, but it's going to pick back up a little bit 
we usually get a little surge around Thanksgiving going into December of that second second rut cycle. So I think it's still going to be great uh, the, through the next week. Um, we got some a little bit warmer temperatures coming in the high 70s and probably, I think, like, like the low 50s. So it's not going to be getting cold, but they're still out. Um, you, you just got to get in the thick areas. All right, Mark, congrats on your success earlier this season. Good luck with the rest of your fall, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for having me. All right, and joining us online next is Byron Horton from the Whitetail Experience in Ohio. Now, Byron, in Ohio, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, I got to go with a a solid 10 on this one. Um, From my hunt the other day to having a few few, uh, bucks come in and Oh, make scrapes, kind of be poking around some does. In the last few days, we've seen chasing, um, bucks responding to calls. The woods have been on fire. Now, you just killed a giant buck over the weekend. Tell us about that hunt, why you were in that area, and why that buck wanted to be in that spot. Yeah, so I think what made that spot super hot is uh, there was a couple scrapes all in a collective area. And that particular piece, uh, you can go a good ways without finding good buck sign. But uh, it, it's kind of was uh, an old logging road set up, but there's also like uh, what we call a hogback kind of funneling some movement down and uh, noted that there were does that tended to feed in the evening or I'm sorry, in the mornings kind of coming back probably to where they bedded, but they tended to cross this oak flat into this general area. And uh, I had actually hunted this stand location uh, several times. and I thought it was just a matter of uh, oh, being there the day they daylighted, if you will, or or the day it got hot and sure enough i i was able to time that up and, and saw three three bucks all within bow range and, and just had an awesome morning in december you mentioned that there was a cluster of scrapes nearby what have you seen for sign making over the last week yeah i uh i did witness the first buck come in and hit the scrape but the uh the other two seemed to pass on by or, or, or kind of just be more in the cruising style mode um, I do, I do, I am still finding somewhat fresher rubs where there are still shavings, but it's definitely not, not as hot to say that late October time period. Um, so, so I'm not as, as super worried about that. I am still paying attention to tracks. In fact, that particular shelf had a good amount of tracks, uh, on it and, and some good size ones. So, so that kind of led me to believe it was worth another hunt. If you're doing some in-season scouting, you mentioned that you might be looking for scrapes and tracks. What are some other things you're trying to identify in the middle of the rut if you're on a new piece of ground? Yeah, and, and, and right there, when you said new piece of ground, I think not being afraid to, to go for a walkabout is, is key because uh, you got to figure out where you want to be. But uh, I, you know, if I was new to a piece, uh, I would also maybe look at some some creek or, or ditch crossings where they, to, you know, it's a little easier for them to lay down a, a, a solid track. Um, and honestly, too, bumping some does, um, you know, the, this time of year could be key. Uh, I've never pulled off the Jared Scheffler whitetail adrenaline bump a pair and, and then go in and shoot them. But I have bumped does and that has led me to then, you know, 20 minutes later, an hour later, having bucks uh, come by. So, so, so being, you know getting in visuals is always a good thing. I know you have to do a lot of aerial scouting to make hunts like this happen. So if you're doing some aerial scouting, what are you looking for to try to find doe or buck bedding on a piece of ground in the Midwest to, in a state like Ohio? Yeah, I, full disclosure, I'm not the best e-scouter, um, but I, I do look for, for maybe subtle, uh, um, 
vegetation or, or habitat style changes. Um, me personally, I think in my playbook, I got to walk that stuff and see it in field versus um, finding it on the map. And that just requires some boot leather, honestly. If you're running trail cameras in the middle of the rut, how much stock do you put into the information you're getting from those? Yeah, I'm not opposed to, to uh, getting a trail cam picture and, and acting on. Um, I know those bucks are moving, but I have seen bucks so kind of repeat their cruising loop. Um, so, so I do put a little bit of stock in that, maybe more on like a three or four out of 10 compared to say late October, it's like a seven to nine out of 10 for me. Let's say you're not tagged out in Ohio and it's November 10 and you're going to be in a tree stand. Tell us what your ideal setup looks like. Yeah, this is my go-to combination of features. Um, I like to be on the downwind side of does, but I need a, a secondary or third feature in there to kind of draw the bucks. And I like, I like the hog backs. I, I really like some sort of terrain cut or erosion cut to, to funnel those deer down. And then, um, I like habitat that, that maybe gets a touch thicker. So those bucks have to visually see some sometimes and, and find those does. Um, that is, is kind of my go-to. And if the, the slope uh, tends to catch morning sun, those thermals tend to rise a little bit. And I think those bucks like them uh, a touch more than, than maybe a shaded hillside. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Ohio? Oh, I think in the next couple of days, we do have some warmer temps, but uh, Dave has been seeing a good amount of uh, buck activity. I'm going to still go a 10. I think uh, this is the time of year. It is the, you, you go ahead and give it that high number. So. All right, Brian, congrats again on the awesome buck. Good luck with the rest of your fall, and thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. All right, and joining us on the line last is Sam Solholt from Public Land Tees in North Dakota. Now, Sam, in North Dakota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I would say probably a 5 or 6. You know, I've seen uh, some small bucks cruising, kind of some of those yeah, younger bucks cruising for sure. I have, you know, on trail cameras that I run, I've had some more mature bucks daylighting, uh, but it doesn't feel like the rut is in full swing yet. What have you been seeing for sign making over the last week? Uh, sign making has been really good. Lots of lots of bucks hitting scrapes, lots, lot more rubs and stuff, like all the small scrub brush getting shredded. Uh, but yeah, lots of scrapes everywhere. The last couple of years, this time of year, You've killed a buck using a decoy. Tell us about your decoying strategy in early to mid-November. Yeah, there's uh, there's hard there's very few things I love more than decoying deer. Um, my strategy is typically to uh, one of two things: either I'm going to get I'm going to hunt somewhere where there's really good visibility, and I'm going to put out a, a full-size decoy. Um, and so you know, deer. So if I can see a deer crossing, I can call to it, rattle at it. And it gives it something to focus on when it's coming in. Um, so that's one scenario that I've had work really well. And then the other scenario is using uh, a heads-up decoy or one that attaches to my bow and try to get into a spot where I think there's going to be bucks cruising with does. Um, or if I can find a doe that has a buck on her, uh, that's a really good uh, scenario to go decoy and sneak in and then pop up that decoy, kind of get in their bubble and uh, make them mad and make them make a move toward you, towards you and slip up where you can get an arrow in them. And is there a phase of the rut that you like decoying especially? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think like right when, kind of right before it all goes nuts, uh, when those bigger bucks are looking for does that are coming into estrus and they're they're just trying to fight off anything that might be, you know, like in, in their territory. 
if you're going into a piece of public for the first time in a state like North Dakota, what are you looking for when you're doing some in-season scouting? So I'm looking for uh, fresh sign, whether that be scrapes or rubs, um, and then just looking for stuff like a lot of the public isn't going to hold crops or egg, you know, um, so a lot of times I'm just looking for stuff that is transitions between uh, bedding and food, uh, you know, funnels, pinch points, stuff like that. What is the crop harvest status right now in North Dakota? You mentioned that not a lot of the public has ag, but for the private that does, what does that look like? Um, the majority of the crops have come off uh, with it being such a dry summer. Uh, everything started coming off early and over the last couple of weeks, like most of the, the beans have been off for a while, but most of the corn has now come off. Does water ever factor into your setups in a state like North Dakota this time of year? Uh, I don't, I typically don't focus on water much this time of year, but it's also a very different year this year with how dry it is. Um, you know, typically the deer aren't struggling to find water because every ditch and whatever has water somewhere. So, um, it'll probably play a little bit more of a factor this year in focusing on it. Um, you know, and maybe finding some small, you know, sloughs in back, you know, hideaway spots, uh, that might bring in a few more deer, but, um, not typically. Historically in the Great Plains, when do you expect to start seeing some midday movement? And are you seeing that yet in 2021? So right now should be seeing good midday movement. Um, Haven't seen a whole lot of it yet, but there's a huge cold front coming kind of across the entire country uh, later this week. And I think that will help a lot. Um, I know some areas are supposed to get snow. uh, Definitely a lot of areas are going to get rain. And the high temps are looking in the low 30s. So there should be a lot of good midday movement, uh, you know, for the next seven to 10 days, I would guess. It's November 10 and you're going to be in a tree stand. What is your ideal setup look like on that date? Uh, for me, I want to be somewhere on the downwind side of a real thick bedding area. You know, if I can, if I can add to that, you know, some sort of a pinch or a funnel that kind of leads to that type of area um, is even better. But a lot of times, this time of year, when all those does are starting to come into estrus, you'll have bucks that are walking on the downwind sides of bedding areas, just scent checking and looking for does that have come in um, and, you know, go going after them. So I, I want to be on the downwind side of something really thick. Going forward then this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in North Dakota? I think it'll ramp up to about an eight. I just think with the, the cooler weather coming in, um, we've had a real dry, warm kind of lead up to the rut. And I think with, with that change shift in weather pattern, pattern, especially after that front blows through, it really should have everything moving. I mean, there's still deer, they're still rutting, um, but it just doesn't feel like I haven't had that, you know, massive chasing activity. I haven't seen, you know, bucks really acting stupid um, like they tend to this time of year. All right, Sam, good luck with the rest of your fall and thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks. You too. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Dan, Mark, Byron, Sam, and Tony for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. As a reminder, the reading materials for this week's episode can be found in our description of the episode. You're going to see articles like Why Transitions, Are the Perfect Rut Setups, Can You Burn Out a Rut Stand, How to Kill a Pressured Buck During the Rut, and what is the whitetail lockdown? If you want to see the two bucks that I just killed in Montana and Wyoming, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Spencer Newharth. And to see Tony's kills, follow at Tony J. Peterson on Instagram. Both of those hunts are going to be featured on Wired to Hunt and Meat Eater's new series called One Week in November, 
which starts November 16th and runs through the end of the year. If you want to stay up to date on that new show, go over to our YouTube channel, Meat Eater, and subscribe. I will talk to you next week, but until then, stay wired to hunt. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.